You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I am Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. And while you're there, download our Sound of Heaven mobile app. There's a digital Bible on there an online community that you can be a part of, all of our teachings. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. Again, I say it every day. We don't want you to miss anything, and I'm sure you don't want to either. But share this stream as best as you can, even if it's after you are listening. Send this to somebody and say, hey, I found a good Bible study that you can get into every day, and I hope that you feel that way. The feedback that I get is exactly that, so uh, I appreciate it very much. We are studying Matthew chapter 21, and we're getting through this. Probably have, I think, two more days in Matthew 21, and then we're moving right along. We are in the final week of Jesus's earthly ministry, and uh, we have seen him come into Jerusalem heading toward the Passover, but he's got some work to do before that, right? He has the triumphal entry into the city where everybody is crying out to him and declaring him as king and Messiah and savior. And we just read yesterday how he goes into the temple and he sees outside of the temple courts, right? They are selling sheep. I'm sorry, they're selling doves and they're selling sacrifices, Uh, And this was the area of the Gentiles just outside the courts. And Jesus starts flipping tables. And I believe that this was something that he did on at least two different occasions uh, because the Gospel of John tells us it's at the beginning. The Gospel of Matthew tells us it's at the end. So it's quite possible that he did this multiple times. Actually, I would say it is probable, and nonetheless, both for the same reasons. He is basically showing that the transactional relationship between God and man is coming to a close. And that's what we've been studying this whole time is how Jesus is helping to, he is establishing the kingdom of God here on earth. He's showing people how to live. That's why he shared the parables in the way that he did. In the next few days, we're going to also start opening up uh, some more parables as well. Uh, And then we're going to get into Matthew 23, Matthew 24, and we're going to spend a good bit of time in 24 because that is an often misunderstood chapter for sure. So hopefully we'll shed some light on that important chapter in Scripture. But let's get back to Matthew 21 now. Uh, where Jesus, obviously, he leaves the temple. Uh, He leaves the temple with the religious leaders in their typical uh, position, being angry with him. All the children were uh, rooting for him, but uh, the temple leadership uh, was not very happy with him at all. And it says that he left that place and he went to Bethany. And chances are he went to Martha and Mary's house, uh, which they lived just outside of Jerusalem. We get a little bit better understanding of that in uh, in the Gospel of John as well. And if you remember right around this time, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. 
So we start off, Matthew, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. We'll get to reading here. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. So now I have to call out Martha and Mary a little bit. You have the King of Kings in your house overnight, allegedly, and you let him leave hungry. Come on. No, I'm I'm kidding. Couldn't even make him uh, an Eggo waffle or something. Uh, I, you know, Jesus often left on his own. Uh, we don't, I don't think he did here, but it, it said it was early. Uh, he probably was getting a head start. He's heading back to the city. And as we'll see probably in tomorrow's teaching, he's heading back toward the temple. Uh, them being upset with him didn't uh, deter him at all. He was going right back. Uh, but before that, he makes a stop and he is on the road, uh, probably with some of his disciples. And he is hungry. Let's keep reading. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except for leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Immediately the tree withered. So Jesus sees a fig tree. And what is a fig tree supposed to produce, right? It's supposed to produce figs, fruit, Something good and edible would have been a nice breakfast, but the fig tree did not bear any fruit. So Jesus lays hands on it and says, you will never bear fruit again, and it immediately withers. It's gone. It can never not bear fruit anymore. Now, this is very much in its own right, Jesus acting out a parable of sorts. It is a living parable. Now, before you get too upset and worry about whether or not you're bearing fruit, whether you're going to be cursed, that's not necessarily what's happening here. I would say that this has what we have referred to multiple times as eschatological ramifications, okay? Let me define that, right? Eschatological, escha and eschatology, ology, study of, right? So with this... We know, or we should know, if you've been listening up until this point, that what is happening is we are moving toward the end of the age. What does the end of the age mean when it is mentioned in the Bible? What what does that term mean? It is the transition from the old covenant that was only with the Hebrews to the new and better covenant that you and I live in right now, which is for all people. So I would position that what we are seeing here is the fig tree representing the backslidden Israel that Jesus is encountering. The backslidden Israel who for years had not bore fruit. It had been about, I think, 490 years or so from the last prophet to the time Jesus came on the scene. It was a time, a dead time where they were going through the motions, they had the temple going on, they had all the sacrifices, we just read about it, all the hustle and bustle of selling sacrifices at 20 times what a dove would normally cost. They had all these things. They looked like they had it going on, but they didn't. They didn't have anything going on. As a matter of fact, I point to the fig tree having leaves yet not having any fruit. You see, if you know anything about that tree, the fig wouldn't really bear 
leaves and not bear fruit at the same time. That type of fig tree would have both, but this one did not. So obviously there's something wrong with the tree. And what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, right? A good tree produces good fruit. He also says what? Check the fruit. They will know you, my disciples, by what? The fruit. What people see. Now, I'm not saying judge by the appearance, but what is on the inside makes its way on the outside. And in this case, Jesus was hungry. And by the way, I do want to mention, I love the glimpses of Jesus's humanity, that he was fully human, the fact that he could get hungry, that he could feel hunger. Now, I'm not taking pleasure in the Lord's discomfort, but for me, it is a reminder that Jesus was just as alive as a human as you and I were. Actually, Scripture says that he was tempted in all things. He dealt with all things, but he never sinned. So a lot of the things that you and I struggle with and we sometimes fall, he went through that too. Yet he didn't fall. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect example of how we can live. And for us to be Christ-like is to also be God-like. Remember, back in the garden, we were created in his image. And Jesus, God in the flesh, was the perfect reflection of what we could be and what God is. Amen? So a good tree produces good fruit, and the fig tree wasn't producing at all. And that signified, I believe, the fallen state of the old covenant church that was not bearing fruit at all. And think about it, right? Hundreds of rules, but no love in their heart. The sick, the downtrodden were suffering. And meanwhile, those who were leading were more concerned with material wealth, more concerned with, the, with what they had, with their admiration and adoration and their influence and clout than they were the well-being of everybody else around. What did Jesus do? As soon as he flipped the tables, he began healing people, saying this is what the true worship is. And I think back to Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, right? Israel, during that time, they're once again in bondage, and they're crying out, and they're fasting, and they're praying, and they're going through the motions, And what does God do? God corrects them. He says, this is the fast I would have you do. That you would loose the bonds of wickedness. That you would heal the sick. That you would feed the hungry. That you would clothe the naked. That you would do these things. And then you'll get your breakthrough. The church was nowhere near that. And God had been trying to tell them a long time. Remember, Jesus didn't come and change anything. Jesus maybe except for their mindset, he didn't come and change the rules. Jesus was the epitome of what God always wanted from day one for us to know. So let's continue. Right? There's no fruit. And remember what John the Baptist said. We read that right in the beginning of Matthew when he was out there crying in the wilderness saying, repent, repent, repent. What did he tell the Pharisees besides calling them a brood of vipers when they came to question him? He said, the ax is already at the root of the tree, right? More eschatology, right? Telling them that this age, right? The tree 
may bear leaves. It may look good, but when you get close to it, you realize it's not bearing fruit at all. Let God cut down every tree that is not bearing fruit. And notice, because you may be sitting there worried like, oh, is God going to do this to me? Okay. Jesus did two miracles that you could probably deem as, I've heard some of the commentators call it destructive miracles, right? He sent the pigs into the water and he cursed the fig tree. Never did anything like that to human beings. As a matter of fact, the same people that were, you know, divvying up his clothes while he's on the cross, what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So let's continue and then we're going to close out here. So the disciples see this. So we see that the disciples were with him. And verse 20, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you could also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. They were marveling at the fact that Jesus could do that to a fig tree and, and just walk away. Jesus says, do you think that is amazing? If you are willing to believe, you can tell a mountain to move and be cast into the sea. What, it, what is he saying? Okay, don't start throwing mountains into seas there, right? James said it like this about what we pray for. One, you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we don't ask God, but two, two, sometimes we ask for the wrong reasons. And you can never ask the wrong reason if you stop for a second and you say, God, what do you want? Because when you begin to know the love of God, you realize that anything that he would have for you is better than what you could ever want for yourself. So it's in a, a critical step to stop and say, God, what would you have me do? But what is he really saying here? When you pray, have faith. So many of us, we cry out of desperation. We cry out of doubt. What God wants you to do is to develop that strength that when you pray, you believe that you will receive it, right? The world says, I want to see it to believe it. What do we say? I'll believe it and then I'll see it right? Faith turns I hope into I know. I'll say that again. Faith turns I hope into I know. He tells them in 22 here, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And that's what I hope we accomplish Every day, just a little bit here. I hope that what we are doing and studying and learning about Jesus is that we are developing that strength of faith, that we are beginning to understand a little bit more the nature of God. Because if we would understand the nature, his nature, his loving nature, we'll know that he has the best intentions for us. And that when we ask for something that's in his will, it will be done for us. It may not be done the way that we want or in the time frame that we want, but it will be done for us. 
So don't doubt. Don't be afraid to ask, number one. But ask God what he wants for your life. And know that whatever you ask for in his name. Notice Jesus never said this to the multitudes. He said this to his followers, his disciples. And scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's what we aim to do each and every day when we get together here. Right? God's not looking to curse you. God's looking to bless you. He's looking to elevate you to a point where you can be more effective in this world, where you can bear fruit. And what he say? Fruit that remains. So let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we want to bear fruit that remains, Lord God. Just tell him that. Say, I want to bear fruit that remains, God. I put my trust in you. Help me this year to remove all doubts. Say that. Say, God, help me to remove the doubts, to just be to a point where where when we ask you something, Lord, we believe it will be done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church, Deer Park, New York. This is the 1% Christian. Remember, 100 starts with one. So go out, do something amazing for Christ's sake, and if you pray for something, believe it shall be done. Have a great day.